Good morning, Sunnybrook. Uh, today we're going to be reading from the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah. If you would take the time to turn with me to Isaiah 40, we're reading verses 1 through 8, or you can just follow along with the words on the screen. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that her time of hard service is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned, and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up, and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth, and rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear, and all humanity together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice was saying, cry out. Another said, what should I cry out? All humanity is grass, and all its goodness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade when the breath of the Lord blows on them. Indeed, the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. Now we're going to be turning to Jeremiah 31, reading verses 31 to 34. Look, the days are coming, this is the Lord's declaration, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke even though I am their master, the Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Eminence. Good morning, church. I want to begin this morning actually with uh, a word of prayer, and uh, I don't know if it's an explanation or an update necessarily, but uh, for those of you that are aware of what's happening right now in some parts of the world that we genuinely care about because we have either ministry partners or just we go there regularly, there are just some things happening that I just want us to be mindful of. And, and, and part of what I think our obligation is, especially as a leadership, is to help us to know how do we pray about these things. Uh, I don't need a lot of help knowing how to complain about things. I can handle that on my own, thank you very much. Um, I, don't, I know how to handle a lot of things improperly, and I just love it when I find spiritual women and spiritual men who know how to deal with complicated things in a way that makes me more wise and more like Christ as I respond to them. Um, so the two situations I want to just talk about briefly and then spend some time praying about are that, the things that are happening right now in Mexico and in Israel. So as you know, right now in Mexico, a lot of difficult things are happening, particularly at the border and particularly in a city, Eagle Pass, Texas, which you may not know is the sister city for Piedras Negras, Mexico, where we have a ministry partner and where we actually have a team of 13 that will be leaving on Saturday to go down and to be a part of the ministry that's happening in Piedras. So uh, one of our residents, Miriam, I don't know if you're in here, but yeah, Miriam kind of uh, is a part of that team, and so she's going to be going down. For her, it's called home. 
Um, for me, it's like one of my favorite places in the world, so I like to think of it as home. Um, but our ministry partners at Crossroads are there and trying to do a work with refugees. And just right now, there really has been a, a state of emergency in Eagle Pass and some difficulties even in terms of crossing the border, just a lot of things happening. Um, and although I don't think it is, um, it's above my interest actually to try to respond to some of these questions um, thinking about them politically. I really care deeply about the opportunities that we have as a church, because that's who I am. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and as a church, what is our responsibility? And our responsibility as a church is to respond to the needs that are there and to give the, the light of the world um, uh, in terms of our example and in terms of the wisdom that we read from scriptures so that we can make a difference there. So I continue to pray for the churches in Piedras and the churches in Eagle Pass, for our ministry partners that are there. And uh, it really is, I'm looking forward to going down and seeing whatever it is that we can do. Um, but let's remember to pray and to specifically pray um, that all of the parties that are involved in uh, trying to deal with this serious crisis that is happening, may we as a church recognize those things which are clearly not just within our ability to do something about, but our responsibility to do something about. So I am praying that the Lord would give us eyes to see and hearts uh, to respond in, uh, in, in likeness. So there's just a lot of things that are happening in that part of the world, and I, I know it can be, well it is, it's a lot easier for us to comment on them or to discuss them over coffee, um, but one of the things that we feel as a leadership that we also need to be involved in is doing what we can do, and then trusting the rest to the Lord, and may we find peace in that. I think one of the greatest lessons that we can learn as a church right now in these complicated times is to do all that we can do, and then trust the Lord with the remaining. Both are Christian, deeply Christian. So may we not be overwhelmed by the brokenness that exists. Yesterday, um, when we were in the middle of our membership matters, a good friend came out and told me, did you hear what's happening in Israel? And I had not. And then after he told me that, for the rest of the day, I knew a lot of what was going on. And not only from just kind of flipping through um, the Wall Street Journal, but also just talking to some friends that I have that are right now in Israel. And let us continue to pray. And again, like the world wants to have conversations at multiple levels, but as the church of God, um, there is a perspective. It fits really well with our message today. There is a perspective that God provides that I just think becomes somewhat non-negotiables for us, that we will continue to pray for peace, but we do so as Christians, recognizing that there is evil in the world and that injustices need to be dealt with. And then with a sense of humility, in terms of recognizing the complexities of it. I'm very grateful for um, my friends that are over there that are just not just angry or sad or whatever, but they're deeply saddened by all of the mess. And so may we, with hearts um, profoundly humble, looking at the brokenness, but not becoming completely upset about it, but realizing, hey, what is it that we can do? Let us do that. One of the things that we can do is pray for the churches in that area that they would rise up and demonstrate, genuinely demonstrate the presence of God in those broken places. That I always know we can do. And for that reason, I have a tremendous amount of hope that in difficult circumstances like this, God has not abandoned these places. Um, and so we will lift them up in prayer. Will you pray with me? And so God, we come to you not fully understanding, not fully knowing, with lots of thoughts and ideas, 
And God, I'm, I'm always reminded in situations like this that you have never asked me for my opinion. Always willing to give it, but you've never asked me for it. And so Father, may we all have a deep sense of, uh, of our right place in all of this. God, there is just no way that we can in good conscience not care. But Father, it is with uh, an inflated view of self that I believe many of us can be tempted, I'm one of those, can be tempted to, to fix it or feel like we can fix it or should fix it. So God, I pray that you would free us from both of those perspectives and instead would you just, would you lead us as individuals and as a church to pray and to seek the peace of Jerusalem and the Middle East and Mexico and the border. God, we need you in moments like this. And um, I pray that truly through your word and through your spirit and through your people that we would be able to offer a perspective and an answer that is different than the world. And so I do pray for our witness during times like this. I know that in past of difficult circumstances, um, we can really be guilty of overstating or understating. And just, I pray that you would give us the right perspective. And God, we trust you with this. And if we don't, we should. And so I thank you for your patience with me and with us. Lead us, Father. Wherever you lead us, we will go. It's in Christ's name we trust. God's people said, amen. We are not without hope in this world. Do you know that? We are not without hope in this world. I've been in some really difficult circumstances, not personally, but just looking around and seeing some pretty difficult circumstances. I understand the temptation to, um, to just to believe that the problems are greater than everything, and they're not. They're not greater than our God. They're not greater than our God. And may we trust his outworking in all of these circumstances and to trust and believe that God will send the right people in the right circumstances to accomplish his plans and purposes because he always does. He always does. In the beginning, he would send people that would come along and would remind, back then they just had families, but they would remind families of God's plan and God's purpose and God's perspective. Because at times, the little ones just couldn't understand what was going on and they needed a grown-up to be able to explain what's happening because I don't, I don't get what's happening. I don't understand what's going on. I need, I need someone with greater wisdom, greater years, greater perspective to explain to me exactly what is happening. It's, it's, uh, it's this five-year-old little girl in a previous ministry who was trying to come to grips with the death of her brother and when your brother passes away and he was eight or nine years old at the time and you're five and you're trying to figure out what just happened, she just couldn't get her head around it. But that's okay, Lauren. Your parents are a lot older. They couldn't figure it out either. But they're gonna do their best to provide some kind of perspective so that you can take this tragedy that's happening right now in your life and speak into it. And so by the way, that's what parents were intended by God to be, interpreters. Can I explain to you what's happening? Can I explain to you how we got here? Hey, Daddy, I have a question. What's that? 
Tell me, son. How'd we end up in Egypt? (laughs) Good question, son. It begins to tell a story. Right? Before there was anyone else to explain it, front line, parents, I'm here to help you understand and interpret the circumstances that are going around. I'm here to help explain what's happening inside your own heart and your own mind. And a good parent, a godly parent, leans into what God has already said to provide the kind of perspective and clarity that is necessary to Lauren, the little girl or a little boy, why are we in Egypt? I don't, I don't get it. You keep saying this isn't home. Sure feels like home. But it wasn't always just parents. No, there were tribal leaders, clan leaders that existed throughout scripture. And then occasionally God would have to send someone that would come and do a, a more miraculous work. And Moses, I need you to now go. And so these, these leaders would, would arise. But The period that we are finding ourselves in right now, these two uh, images here, and this morning we're just gonna be dealing with with this heart, with this new heart, with God's word written on it, described in the book of Jeremiah, is the, the period of the prophets, the ones who came and the ones who began to explain. I'll tell you, I don't know, chances are every one of us has been in need of somebody who knows a lot more that can help explain what's happening. When, when Andrew and I moved here in 2004, our oldest son was uh, going into the sixth grade and that summer, he just kind of leans back at the, at the table and I noticed that he had like this lump in his throat, not a proverbial lump, not a metaphorical lump, not the normal lump, an extra lump in his throat. And I have been conditionally trained by my mother to overreact in all circumstances where you can overreact. So grateful for her in so many ways. Um, and it, it, honestly, in fairness to her, I took to it naturally. <laughs> um, I married my father, which I, I know is weird to say to your wife, but I married my father who brings peace and calm to all circumstances. But I remember him leaning back and I just remember a lump in my own throat. What is that? Well, we didn't have time to take care of it. I was gonna be traveling out to Colorado and, and to speak. And so while we were out there, I just remember, you know, doing what a good father should do, which is just worry all the time about it. And uh, then all of a sudden he woke up one morning and he said, I can't feel my face, which didn't help me, by the way. I just can't feel my face. Ended up being just an abscessed tooth. Well, at least the couldn't feel your face part. So we got him on some antibiotics and took care of that. And I just spent the rest of the week worrying, waiting for us to come back to Stillwater and going and see the ENT um, specialist and to find out what was going on down here. Now, before we went and saw Dr. Crawley, we decided we were gonna take care of the tooth thing, and so we went to the dentist, took care of all of that, and then I remember going right from the dentist to the ENT specialist, and we sit down and and we're talking to him, and and like a doctor does, this is what I love about doctors, doctors love to say, okay, so tell me what's going on. They're gathering information, right? And my, my, my wife, Andrea, she starts saying, well, Lately, he's had like this, this tooth that was abscessed, and I, you know, interrupted. Honey, the T doesn't stand for teeth. It's ear, nose, and throat. Don't talk about the teeth. And if, I don't know if you guys know Dr. Crawley. He did not know me at the time, but he knew enough to say, hey, why don't you be quiet? <laughs> why don't you be quiet and let her speak? 
don't you, I remember him telling me this, don't you keep information from me thinking you know, because you don't know. Okay, gave me a little speech, <laughs> which I always think is fun. But anyway, it ended up being, by the way, that this whole thing is kind of connected. It's kind of cool. And Dr. Crowley actually pointed out that, oh yeah, no, 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 the abscess, it kind of got down here and something's infected. And I promise you, well, like once you take care of what's happening here, this will just go away. He's, he's fine. He was right. And I'm so grateful for someone that came in because all I knew how to do was to look at certain circumstances and then misinterpret them. Anybody else know how to do that well? Time and time again, I do that. And so I'm grateful for those that are able to come in and to provide clarity and perspective. And I've, I've learned to appreciate them and I've learned to trust them. And I've actually learned to hold off making my own judgment until someone else can help me with that kind of clarity. I, I know we kind of make fun of them, but I actually, I think they're pretty amazing. The people that predict our weather, like, I get it, I get all the jokes. It's pretty amazing what they're able to do. And for a Canadian who's not used to like tornado warnings, again, no surprise to you, all I knew how to do when they would say, hey, by the way, there's a tornado warning, is just run in circles and cry. <laughs> and just every cloud and every, and, and now I'm not that way, why? Because I've actually learned. I've had experts come and say, hey, let me explain to you what you need to be worried about and what you don't need to be worried about. Let me tell you exactly how this works so that you can now know how to live. Aren't you grateful for people like that? Biblically speaking, they were moms and dads. But then God had a bigger plan and they became leaders. And then God spoke. And collectively, the people of God came and they, they rallied around that. And as time progressed in the great story of God, they said, we need, we, need, we need leaders that are constantly here. We need kings. God said, now by the way, here's the thing, is that when you get kings, they're gonna start caring about themselves. Can you believe that? Like someone that's in charge of other people caring more about themselves? By the way, that's not a them problem, that's an us problem, right? You'd be the different king or queen. Don't be foolish. And so, kings came. Question, who's gonna hold them accountable? Hold on to that. And priests were instituted by God. Priests, by the way, weren't the frontline teachers of the word. No, that would again be like families, okay? They were the frontline. But then there were those that were deeply involved religiously and economically, politically, and kings and priests were so entrenched within society that they really had like this, um, I guess this authority that they were misusing or not using properly. And, and, and literally everything from society to the family because they're deeply connected began to crumble and break. And so it's what Adam and Eve did not get was a prophet who showed up and said, let me explain to you. No, they, they come at a later point in Israel's history. 
And one of the big things that they do, this is important to know about prophets, there's a lot of similarities between the sign that is here and the sign that is here. And one of the reasons why is what prophets did was they were, first of all, sent by God to come and to remind them of a promise that was made. They, they, weren't, just, they weren't just sent to warn, you're in trouble, go to your room. No. They were covenant reminders about a promise that was made. And, and by the way, the promise that was made was not just made by, by them as a people, but it was also made by God. It was a promise that was made by both. And basically, this promise that was made at Sinai, in, in some sense, this promise that has been made by God to all of his creation, is that there is, as you go through life, this interaction, these things that are happening, and you should be able to know with relative certainty why things are happening around you. Like, you should be able to figure out, right? Some things are really easy to know. Man, we don't have any food. Why don't we have any food? Well, you haven't killed anything lately. Oh, okay, that's why. No brainer. Man, we don't have much crops that are coming in right now. Why are no crops coming in? Well, because we didn't sow anything in the spring. Oh, yeah, we should probably do something about that. There are so many parts of our lives that are somewhat no-brainer. I don't need anyone to explain or to interpret for me. Do A, get B. So much of life is just that kind of predictable, and I don't need anyone to explain it to me. But then there are deeper things. I would argue the most important things that help make deeper and stronger connections. I'm grateful for parents that do that. I'm grateful for leaders that do that, whether that be political or religious, that help me see things that I couldn't have seen on my own. I don't know if I would have seen that. Thank you so much. That's what prophets did. That's why it's important. Can I just tell you one thing that we need to remember about prophets is that they weren't self-appointed. I think one of the frustrations that I have in, in say the last, and it's not the last five or 10 years, maybe in the last 30 or 40 years. By the way, I was 10, 40 years ago, but yeah. Uh, what, one of the things that I, that I recognize, is there's a lot of self-appointing that's happening in our culture today. And that's not what's happening in the Bible. In the Bible, Isaiah just didn't look around and go, well, I'm fed up with this. No, the, the most common theme of the prophet is they're more than glad to kind of go on life on their own. They may not like what's happening, but they aren't self-appointed. And I think one of my frustrations is that a lot of people offering commentary and critique are self-appointed. I think that message needs to be heard, whether that be Christian church leaders, who I think sadly way overspeak. Way overspeak into the circumstances that are happening. And I, by the way, I would just say, I would expect a lot of that over the next few weeks and months with what's going on in Israel. People deciding that they're going to speak for God, self-appointed. Listen, I get the temptation. But the prophets that came that spoke about the social justices that needed to be addressed 
had a kind of authority, not a kind of authority, they had an authority that came from God. And it almost adds credibility when they came in reluctantly. I'm a nobody. I'm from a small little tribe. Why would you call me? God says, because that's how I operate. And I've got a message, and I want you to give it. And prophets were usually overwhelmed and not ready to do it. But sometimes when we can't figure out what's going on on our own, when we don't understand the brokenness that's happening in our lives, we don't understand the brokenness that continually happens in our families or continually happens in our society, we need someone to intervene. We need someone to interject and to give a perspective of clarity so that we can understand what's going on. And God did that by sending prophets. I want to explain to you, and a good prophet, I'm going to explain to you past, present, and future what's happening right now. Because you need to understand that God's intervention is here. It's coming. So this is the role of the prophet. Number one, to assess the situation from God's perspective. Now, now by the way, one of the reasons why I'm saying this so that we can understand it is so that we can read the prophets, old and new, and to have a better understanding of, of what they did so that we can then begin to rightly look at our own circumstances, okay? Because I have found great peace actually in realizing that what the prophets do and where they actually begin is assessing what's going on right now. The prophets love to talk about, here's what's happening, here's what's going on, here's what you're doing. This is how your priests are interacting with your, with your religious festivals. This is how they're operating with your sacrifices. This is what the king is doing, and I'm not happy with what the king is doing. And the prophet is speaking this God-ordained truth into societal circumstances with the promise of God's intervention, but it begins by assessing what is happening, which, which means this. I think it is so important that you and I remember this, in, this incredible, incredible principle that what's happening in my life and what's happening in the world has a divine perspective. So often I can't see it like that. What drives me to fear, what drives me to anxiety, what drives me to overreact is a lack of perspective. I've, I've truly found that the greater perspective I have from God, the greater like peace, but not like a generic peace, not the kind of peace, well, everything is gonna be okay, so I'm at peace, but the kind of peace that says even in the midst of the chaos, there is a steadiness in me. I've had this conversation with two close friends that are kind of waiting for some news and both of them have said to me, pray more than anything else that I would have a sense of just trusting in God through this. See, that's the perspective I'm talking about. That's not delighting in the news, in the results. That's trusting in the Lord. So that's what happens when we assess the situation from God's perspective. We see it from him. We see the brokenness for what it is. We see the rescue from where it can only come from. Which, by the way, one of the greatest lessons we can learn is quit looking for a rescue that cannot be provided at a human level from humans. 
and believe in the divine rescue that God can offer. And that keeps us from becoming overly frustrated when the same problem seems to happen over and over and over again and you and I get tossed to and fro. Prophets come in and they offer this perspective from God. The second thing the prophets do is they call to repentance and to covenantal faithfulness. They remind us of the promises that were made. Which, by the way, both Old and New Testament, promises that were made from us to God, but first and foremost, promises that were made from God to us. This is a covenant that goes both ways. It's not just what I have done wrong, it's what God has done right, and what God does always right, even though I continue to do things wrong. And that's what the prophets are reminding people of. Not just, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, judgment is coming, but yes, but God's desire for you is one of repentance and one of covenantal faithfulness. That's why, in a way, my favorite prophet, I think, will always be Jonah. I don't wanna go. I don't want to go. Why don't you want to go, Jonah? Because I know what he's going to do. I know exactly what he's going to do. I can't imagine that they're going to repent, but I just know him. If, if they do, he will. I don't want to go. Isn't that interesting? The amazing predictability of God, and Jonah goes and preaches, judgment is coming, and then judgment didn't come. Did Jonah's prophecy come true? The biblical answer is yes. Because the beginning of the prophet's word is unless you repent. That's a big, important part of the prophecy. One of the things I've been loving doing as I've been reading the word and sharing the word with other people um, is reminding people of God's covenantal love and faithfulness to humanity, to his covenant people, to his new covenant people. In reality, the first move of God is one of like restoration and forgiveness. God is overwhelmingly, surprisingly willing to forgive. And the prophet steps in and the prophet calls to repentance and covenant faithfulness Reminding of God's unbelievable covenantal faithfulness. And then the last thing before the, pro- the, before the prophet leaves is that he promises God's intervention. He speaks very directly about God's intervention. God's intervention is coming. God's interruption is happening. It's not just, it's not just his judgment. It's his activity. And I would say this. I would say that the more that I read scripture and even look at history the more that I find that the Lord does what the Lord wants to do in the timing that the Lord wants to do it. And and you and I just live our lives seeing and responding to the faithfulness of God and trusting in the faithfulness of God. And therefore, I'm grateful that we have been spending time looking at the entire story so that we can see glimpses into moments in time in which God cared so much for us that not only did he send a mama and a papa, And not only did he provide kings and even priests, but then the one that would come and speak for him when they needed to hear it the most were prophets. 
who are covenant reminders that God is still here and that God is still active. And I know that you can't see him. And I know that you wonder if he's ever going to do anything. And the answer to that question is, yes, he sees. And yes, he is doing something about it. I promise you. And sometimes like a good doctor who can sternly rebuke me, who I learn to appreciate later, that's what I love about a good prophet. Thank you providing, thank you for providing that kind of perspective that I could not figure out on my own. And so Isaiah and Jeremiah, who interestingly enough speak a tremendous amount about God's judgment that is coming, I would argue the very core of their message is one of come home because I deeply desire to forgive you. I deeply desire to forgive you. I want wholeness and I want restoration. And that's why I sent Isaiah. That's why I sent Jeremiah. To bring you home. To bring you back. I think it is good for us to remember that. To see that picture of God's merciful loving kindness and his willingness to forgive That is at the very heart of every prophet's message. The problem is that as the prophet is calling us to respond with a heart of flesh, we respond with a heart of stone. I love the words of Isaiah. Chapter 40, Eminence read it. Chapter 40, verses six through eight. A voice was saying, cry out. Another said, what should I cry out? What should I declare? And and notice notice what the declaration is. All humanity is grass, and all its goodness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade, when the breath of the Lord blows on them. Indeed, the people are grass. Now, by the way, this beginning of this chapter is comfort. Comfort my people with what? Remind them they're grass. Remind them they're nothing. Well, not nothing. We're grass. Wow. Yeah, I need your help to figure that one out. I need need that kind of reminder. So in the midst of grass, which sometimes when I, when I focus on just how vulnerable I am, just how vulnerable we are, I can get lost inside myself, inside my head, inside my own emotive response. Verse eight, the grass weathers, withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. The word of our God remains forever. Sometimes when I'm reading Isaiah, I'm thinking, yeah, the word of our God, he's going to get us. If we're bad, he's going to get us. But it's so much deeper than that. It's so much richer than that. It's not just my word will not return to me empty and judgment is coming, but my word will not return to me empty and my ultimate desire is one of restoration and I will restore some. The story of the Bible right, which is the life story, is that the vast majority of people who hear the good news of Jesus, who hear the good news of God, want nothing to do with them. 
And sometimes that can overwhelm me. Sometimes I can just feel like I'm the only one. And I know I'm not the only one, but I just wish there were more. Anybody else just wish there were more? And I sometimes forget that the word of the Lord is going to accomplish everything that's going to accomplish, and there are going to be some. There are going to be some that are going to receive this invitation. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. So obviously, if it's in chapter 1, it's early in Isaiah's ministry. I love this verse. It begins with this invitation. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come, let's settle this. Other translations have, come, let's reason together. But it's, it's the idea of, I, I want to have not just a conversation. I want to I come to terms with what I'm doing. I want you to come to terms with what I'm doing and what I'm about and where I'm going. And this is what God says. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be white as snow. And though they are crimson red, they will be like wool. Anything that's crimson red needs to change its color. Because it's sin. And it needs to be... What? Am I missing something? And it needs to be like wool. Isn't it interesting that that's... Like that's what will stand forever? What's gonna stand forever? Interestingly enough, what, what, what doesn't stand first and foremost is God's judgment, but God's mercy. And God says, I've invited you into this. What, what's interesting is, is that it's really easy for me to understand and to come to grips with like why God gets everybody else. Like, I totally get why he's mad at you. I totally see that you did A, B, or C, so you deserve. I totally get that. I just don't know what he's got wrong with me. And Isaiah pulls us into all of that and just says, listen, that's just one more degree of your brokenness. And the prophets were forced to look at reality and then to offer this kind of perspective, I would not have understood this on my own, that God, you're going to be kind to them? Or I don't know, maybe you're having a hardest time believing that God is gonna be kind to you. Maybe that's your struggle. And that is why in, in the midst of these prophets, you, you need to be able to prioritize the, the ports, parts of the message that have greater levels of, 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 of importance, and they just do because that's the way the Bible describes them. So I know there's lots of pictures of destruction in Jeremiah and Isaiah, but the focal point is on restoration and redemption. And Jeremiah is blessed to be able to say what we heard this morning. Look at Isaiah 31. It's a great chapter. You should go back and look at it. This is the heart of our God. Instead, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. This is the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration. Now, what is it that he's describing here? It's not judgment. Or if it is, it's a kind of judgment that God put on himself so that you and I could be forgiven. 
by his mercy and his kindness. For, he says, I will forgive their iniquity and I will never again remember their sin. That is so much the core of the prophet's message and the way that we are to understand the great story of God. We're not afraid to talk about snakes. We're not afraid to be honest about the tearing down of walls or the ripping down of a temple. I get it, like that is reality, but the greater reality is God's eternal goodness that comes to us. His persistent kindness that speaks not only the truth about our brokenness, but the greater truth of his love and forgiveness, which comes from himself as he gives of himself. This is the greatest story that the prophets ever told. Their excitement was not judgment is coming and wait and see. It is, you could have never figured this out on your own that even though your sins are many, that a holy and righteous God willfully and desires to bring you home. That is the beautiful story that we see Jesus speak over and over and over about, don't we? He's not afraid to talk about judgment. He just wants them to make sure that they look through all the mail and recognize there's an invitation to come home. So every message that a prophet gives has one of two outcomes. To be clear, the first one is this. The prophet will come and they will state the obvious and most, what is obvious to most listeners that they will reject, most listeners ultimately will reject God's warning and will suffer the unbearable judgment they rightly deserve. That is, that is a repeated theme throughout the Bible. Sodom and Gomorrah, mostly wicked people. Like that is the repeated story. Wide is, narrow is, broad is, the way to destruction. Few will find the way. So the majority of the prophet's message truly that happens, and I need to be reminded of that, actually. That is reality. But I would argue the greater reality is that the prophet then shocks his hearers with the promise that God will do something completely unexpected by forgiving repentant people of their sins by taking their penalty himself. And you've heard the story, you know this. And you've, you've heard the story over and over and over again. The prophet comes and, listen, this is what God is gonna do, but God wants you to do this. God, God desires to forgive you, repent. And the vast majority of people say, no, thank you. And then there's always a remnant, there's always a few that say thank you, and they receive it. Well, that's enough about Isaiah or Jeremiah. I guess my question that we all have to deal with this morning is what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do with the offer of forgiveness that God has given? The fact that what we wanna settle and what we wanna come to terms with is not just societal sin, but your sin. Not just what's wrong with somebody else, but what you need with God. What, like what's your plan? Because the prophets have spoken. 
And one came greater than all the prophets, providing hope and peace. And what's your response? One of repentance? Recognizing the goodness and the faithfulness of God? And that is why Jesus gave us something to remember. Again, there are many people on that day when they meet the Lord, and I don't know if they've thought this through, but their plan or their purpose is to, I don't know, maybe either be a good purpose, be a good person, to do some good things, or to just try to convince themselves that there's no way that I've done anything that bad. But Jesus intervenes, he steps in, and he says to his disciples, and he offers it to us as well, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, and he gave it to them, and listen, here's what he said. You need this. Like, this is my body, and you need this. So my question, do you know that you need this? I do. I needed him to tell me how badly I needed it. I knew I was broken. I had no idea what and how I needed it, but now that I know it's Jesus, I need it. For those of you that recognize that you need this, eat. His blood. You need this. I need this. We need this. Let us drink. In light of what God has done.